Hey, yo, shut up. This is Ice-T. I want to let you know one thing, and I want you to get this perfectly clear. If you don't listen to Soul Radio, that's messed up. This week, nobody is wasting nobody. We're talking SVU, shooting Mulaney in front of a live audience, podcasting before there was podcasting, and being funny because you're fucked in the head. Damn, girl, you're better than the soaps. It's an all-new episode of Soul Radio. Woodstock, what's really the difference when you get right down to it, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm on tour right here. Nice, nice, nice. So how was uh how how has your day been? What what's uh what is a day in the life of Ice T nowadays? Um today, nothing much, just getting up now. We're doing a lot of zooms nowadays, uh getting ready. I actually there's a picture behind me of a tour. I have to go. I have a concert set up this Saturday, so I'm trying to get myself so, together yeah. for that. Oh, that and uh, they just told me I had to do an interview with you guys, so I said, "Let me call in and check in." So yeah, we are. Um, we are mutually working with uh, Sopranos Con, Mob Movie Con, uh, coming up the last weekend of this month mm-hmm. at a Harris Resort over in New Jersey. Uh, Ice is going to be there. People from The Sopranos, Gene Carlo Esposito. He plays uh, Gus Fring on Breaking Bad. What What are your favorite of like the mob movies and mob shows? What What attracted you to this thing? Well, I mean, I've been playing a cop for 23 years now on SVU, so finally I got to do some gangster stuff. So you know, in hip hop, in hip hop, I'm known as the original gangster. I got to play gangsters in quite a few movies. I did a, a, a Once Upon a Time in Brooklyn. I got to play every once in a while. So uh, when they approached me, they said, hey, Ice, we'd like to have you involved. Would you come down there to the awards? Would you host it? I, I jumped at the opportunity. You know, everybody loves gangster films. So I can't oh, wait to meet a lot of these cats that I've only seen on the screen. Did you watch The Sopranos back in the day? I wasn't a, 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 a like a super sopranos fan i've watched a lot of the episodes but okay with the people that watch every single episode 10 times i'm not gonna say i'm anywhere in their league but i've had i had the uh the, the honor to work with many many people from the sopranos including drea who i did a movie with it's called, called um, uh, our christmas uh she and, I and she also came and worked on SVU. A lot of the people from Sopranos have been on SVU. It's, yeah, um, yeah, I think like Rhea Bruzo and Catherine Narducci play a couple together at some point. So you've been, Jesus, you've been on SVU 23 years. You just finished filming this uh, season, if season I understand. 22. Season 22, so we're about to start season 23. That's fucking nuts. So, I mean, obviously a lot has changed in the last year with safety precautions. What was um, a day in the life on the set like for this last season compared to like what people call regular life? Let's start when it happened. Um, before last year, we, I was on the set and uh, I was about to go on to do a scene and they just said, they just pulled the plug. Sure. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They said they just pulled the plug. So we shut down. Um, season 21 with four episodes left to do and they shut it down. And then we all went into, uh, you know, 
pandemic quarantine and we didn't know if we were going to come back. Everybody was worried about this year. Right. They decided to come back in September. And um, what we did was we were doing COVID tests every single day. Jesus. And um, they had a way of, of keeping us separate. They split the, 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 the crew and the cast into different units. So we wouldn't come in contact with everybody every day as we normally would. And if somebody came up with COVID, they were able to figure out who they had contact with and quarantine them. And somehow or another, they managed to finish a whole season. Last season was only 16 episodes, but considering it was during the pandemic, that was an accomplishment. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. How do you um how do you juggle being a full time actor on one of the biggest shows you know in on the planet as well as being a musician as well as being a family man? Well, people that watch television or watch films, there's a lot of downtime between what you see on the screen. Sure. Like when, when we, it might take four hours to shoot two minutes of actual screen time. So we have time in our dressing rooms. We have time to sit. Uh, you don't spend all that time practicing your lines, getting ready for the next thing. I play a lot of video games. It gives me to write music. Um, also, as an actor in a show, Law & Order, my, my, my show would take 10 days to shoot an episode, right? Right. In those 10 days, there might be 45 scenes to that episode. But as an actor, I might only be in 20 of those scenes. So we, we say our schedule is at the mercy of the script. If I'm heavy in the episode, then I work every day, all day. If I'm light, I have time off, you know, because we only work on our scenes. Um, as far as music, I go out and do music over hiatus. Normally, right now, this background would be what I'd be doing on hiatus for you. Uh, and I can do spot dates, but I tell people I act. How do I say it? I act to pay my bills, and I do music to remain sane. I love. I, lo I got to do music to be free and do my own thing. You know, acting is following directions. It can make you crazy after a while. Do you feel less pressure? It, in your musical output, do you feel less pressure from fans to make a certain type of music and just kind of make what you want nowadays? Well, I never felt pressure from the fans because I've been one of those fortunate artists that whatever I made, they like. Right. You know, I'd never, I'm not a pop artist. I never tried to get on the radio. And I've never really, I just was lucky, like when I started making music and I would make music I liked and people bought it, I was like, whoa, whoa, this is, you know, it's kind of like when I first started acting, I would read the line that like, who's at the door? And I would say, who's at the door? And the director would go, incredible. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just one of those people that's very fortunate that my art has been received and I've never had to really search for an audience. Have you, um, I, I assume at this point you've seen uh, John Mulaney's bit about your character on SVU? Yeah. What was, uh, what was your first time, because like you did, uh, when he did a sitcom, you did the, this is brought to you by a studio, in front of a live studio audience. Well, you know, there's a funny story for that, right? So John Mulaney was making jokes about Ice-T, and then John Mulaney reached out and said, Ice, would you do this thing for my show? 
So I went there and and the line was uh, the John Mulaney show was shot in front of a live studio audience. And I did it and I left the studio and they called me back and they says, could you say film? Because it sounded like you just said he got shot. (laughs) Well, it got canceled after a few episodes. So it really was shot in front of a live studio audience. Uh, I'll let John Mulaney make the jokes. You know oh, yeah. No, like, no disrespect. He's one of my favorite comics, and you're one of my favorite actors. And it's just like, oh, it's nice when people I like notice each other. Um, yeah, it, it, it's cool. It's cool. And you got to be able to take a joke. You know, in, in this business, there's enough people that will maliciously attack that, you know, when someone's having fun, you got to let that ride and enjoy it. Sure. So I, I know I only have a limited amount of time with you. I've kind of wanted to meet you for like about three decades at this point. So I'm just going to like shotgun a bunch of moments throughout yeah. your career. Um, first one that comes to mind, and this is because I watched uh, Tupac Resurrection a couple days ago, was you performed a uh, emotional rendition of You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore on stage with Tupac. I think it was on SNL. What was the, how did that happen? That wasn't it SNL. It looks like SNL, but it wasn't uh, an SNL no, show. It, it was done. Um, damn, I'm having a blackout. <laughs> the um, the, the female comedian, not Rosie O'Donnell. Um, she had a TV show. I think she used to be uh, with Ted Dan. Hmm. I'm drawing a blank now too. I know who you're talking about, and the name escapes me. Right. Anyway, it was a show that was kind of like Saturday Night Live. I think it was called Midnight Special or something. Oh yeah, I knew Midnight Special. And um, you know, it had it, it, it had a uh, you know some skits. So they called up me and Park and said, "Would you guys come?" And we got there, and we had no idea what we were doing, and they just gave it to us and said, we want you to sing, you won't bring me flowers, and uh, we'll put it up on the teleprompter if you don't know the words. And we just went out there and had fun. He also performed, I think he performed uh, Only God Can Judge Me. And then when we did this other skit with this lady who was supposed to be interviewing us, yes. and she was talking about us hitting her with water hoses and stuff like that. Okay. You know, it was just having fun. And at that time, it was kind of like the introduction of rappers kind of breaking the mold right. into, into other things and letting people see us as something else and having a little fun with ourselves. So it was an honor to work with Pac. He was a good friend of mine. You know, God bless him. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you know, you're one of, uh, I, I feel like it's you and Snoop Dogg and Mike Tyson where the three of you have kind of like, you know where I'm going with this. You kind of transcended what made you famous to begin with. And now you kind of can just get paid for being hilarious. Right. Was there a point when you kind of realized that that's what was going on or was it just a gradual thing? It was a gradual thing, you know, cause when we first came out, we scared the shit out of the world. You know, they were like, these are bad people. These are hardcore cats. I think right. when I saw Snoop do the commercial with Lee Iacocca, I'm like, okay, things are changing. You know, now Snoop's with Martha Stewart, you know, 
but Martha been to prison so she can be part of G Unit. You know what I'm saying? So oh, and I, think it's, I think it's just like this going back to VirtualCon and MobMovie.com. You're looking at these people to play these hard roles, but when you meet them in person, they're the nicest people. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So I think we're just letting you see both sides of us. You know, people always say, well, I you cool. And I go, well, you're not my enemy. You know, there's no reason for me to be mean to you. You're not my enemy. But uh, yeah, what like my boy says, what a difference a day makes. You know, the original gangster is now the longest running cop on television. How the, how the hell did that happen? Oh yeah, and it went from like, oh look, the guy who made Cop Killers now playing a cop on TV. Flash forward a couple decades later, like kids who watch SVU now know you mainly as the cop from SVU without, you know, the, the rest of the background. Have you, um, ha have you encountered a fan who hasn't realized, you know, your, your past in music or your, you know, his, your history in like censor censorship and music? Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to realize that if I've been on law and order 23 years, and you're 21 years old, you have no reference point to any of the music. Um, you only know me from television. So without YouTube, without a parent that says, hey, let me show you about IT. Let me teach you about NWA. Let me teach you about Tupac. Um, yeah, but it's an, also an honor to actually jump generations like that. To yeah. be able to still be around, still be happening, and people have no reference point that something you did 20, 30 years ago. So I don't have a problem with it. And I always think that when people find out, they embrace me even more. They go, oh, wow, this dude comes from South Central Los Angeles. Right. This dude was involved with the gangs. Look what, what he was able to do with his life. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite documentaries of all time was actually made by you, and that was The Art of Rap. And it's just like an hour and a half to two hours of you talking lyricism and just the craft of the music itself, which is some of the greatest of all time. You have uh, Eminem doing a freestyle. You have, you know, Kanye doing an early version of Gorgeous. How, how long did, first of all, how long did that take the, to make that whole project? Uh, two years. Two years. I was just one day, I was just sitting back and I was watching the thing on filmmaking. And they said that filmmakers usually start with documentaries. Sure. And they said the documentaries are meant to document something forever. And I was like, well, you know, hip hop was changing at the time. And I said, why don't I document hip hop from where I'm from, like the hip hop I come from. And we won't talk about the money, the girls, the beef, the drama, what normal interviewers want to do. Let's talk about the craft. Let's talk about where your head is and how you write lyrics. And I just went in my phone and I called everybody I knew. Right. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a movie. You down? Everyone in that movie did it for free. Um, and it just took time. I had a film company from London that helped me film it. And it just took time to triangulate them, myself, my schedule, and the artist. So we shot all the LA stuff, Cypress Hill, MC Fight, Snoop, when we went to LA, to do M, Royce to 5'9", um, New York stuff we shot in New York. 
And then it ended up with a four hour edit. And uh, Sundance said it needed to be 90 minutes. And that was the hardest edit I ever did in my life. Who did you have to cut? You had to cut a lot of people's time down and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that interview with M is like, and that's like, he's in my top five. And that is one of my favorite just documented moments in his entire career. He just seems so like in his element and it's just the two of you geeking out over music. And it reminds me of just like me and my friends just drinking and talking shit. Well, you know, that's what the art of rap was. It's like, I know these people. So it was like friends talking. Right. You know, rappers don't really dig interviewers a lot because a lot of interviewers like you, you seem to be, you, 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 you've done your research. We want to talk to people that know what, you know, that, that are really having a conversation, not in the middle of an interview, ask me how long I've been playing baseball, like, like, right. who, who you even talking to, right? <laughs> so when I sit and I run a camera with just any rapper, you're going to get real conversation. You're going to see me talk to Rakim like me and him would be talking. And that was rare and that hadn't been done. Now you got the world of podcasts. Mm. And you see it a lot. But Art of Rap was pre-podcast. So right. it was different. It should be seen by anybody called something from the Art of Rap. On uh, pretty much most streaming services, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? Oh, yeah. You were in the D12 fight music video. Yeah. I got a call from Eminem directly like, Ice, we need you to play Cyrus from the Warriors. <laughs> and I was like, I can dig it. I can dig it. So I went out and reenacted Cyrus and set that video off. That was cool. I think that was my got D12 standing next to some white boy named Eminem. <laughs> I think that was one of my first like real moments being exposed to you. The first time I heard of you, and this is like the oddest place to hear of somebody is your your VH1 behind the music. Right. And so I went into that just not ha having any fucking clue. Like I'm 33. And so like the 90s have already kind of happened. And uh, just, you know, your come up, just the starting music. Actually, that brings me into another point. A whole part of your career is just, you know, the the hustle of selling yourself no matter what you're doing and making money wherever you can, however you can. Do you still incorporate that today? Or are you a little more picky with what you choose to do? I'm picky, but I'm still hustling. I'm picky, but I'm still hustling. In one sense, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things that maybe early Ice-T wouldn't do. You know, I'm doing Thai commercials with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm having fun with it at this point. You understand? It's like, there's no image. It's just, you know, if I think it's going to be fun, I'm going to do it. But that hustler instinct is all. So you got to think of it like this. You can hustle or you could do nothing. So say, for instance, somebody came to me and said, hey, Ice, we... We got this, whatever this particular gig is. And the gig is worth, let's just say 10, 15, $20,000. I gotta be pretty arrogant just to say, nah, I'd rather sit at home and play Xbox. You know what I'm saying? I mean, some people don't make that money in a year. 
You see what I'm saying? So I'm going to go get that bag. I'm going to be like, what? You need me for how long? I'm going to go get that bag, you know, throw it in my daughter's uh, 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 savings account. You know what I'm saying? So I still have this reference point to being broke. No matter how much money I got, I understand you don't deny it when those opportunities come because some people don't have any of those opportunities. And I was one of them, you know? So I prefer to hustle than to sit on my ass. I mean, sometimes I am turning down stuff, but it's usually because it's not a fit. It's like something so far to the left that I'm like, like that's right. I'm Dude, I'm I'm glad you're here. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, you know, uh, about almost 15 years ago, you famously got in an argument with a soldier boy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can go watch the Boondocks if you don't know what happened there. But um, you know, a lot has changed even since then. You know, Chief Keef, uh, fucking future Takashi Six Nine. Has your perspective changed on where hip hop has gone, or has it stayed the same or gotten worse? Uh, my perspective is sim- is the same, but it's really meant to be kept to myself. Sure. I, I've learned, you know, from that, that it's kind of like music has to do with taste and it has to do with age and where you are at the time in your life. So for me to comment on 16 or 18 year old kids music, right. I'm not supposed to like it because I'm not in the, my brain. What's relative to them is not relative. You see, so. Yes. When you're 18, you're worrying about the new sneaker. When you're my age, I might be worrying about the price of jet fuel. You know what I'm saying? My brain is in a whole nother bracket. So maybe I need to be listening to Jay-Z, or I need to be listening to somebody who's rapping from a world that I live in. So my comments on the young artists in this and the third, never again. I uh, I, uh, understand its perspective. And it's taste. I can tell you what I prefer. Oh, yeah. That's just my opinion. So me coming out and saying, ah, oh, this is that, and this is that, and this is that, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference what I think. If you could go back, would you have not done that? Huh? If you could go back to, like, 2008 or whenever that was, would you have not said that, or do you just kind of Well, I, I, I had to do that to learn this. Understandable. I respect that. You know what I'm saying? And that's Ice-T. Ice-T was, that's how I am. So I'm always in the moment. So this Ice-T you dealing with isn't 10 years ago Ice-T. Right. This is this Ice-T. So you grow, we learn. Absolutely. Who, uh, who are you listening to right now? As far as rap? As far as music. Right now, honestly, I'm warming up to do another Body Count album. So I'm listening to a lot of metal. Like, you know, I'm listening to Serious Metal Channel, get my vibe up to that. Mostly, I've been honestly listening to a lot of battle rappers. I've I've gotten into, like, battle rap because they got the bars. Those guys can rhyme for 20 minutes, and then they can never say those raps again. So I got nothing but respect for the battle rappers. That's an art form very few people can deal with or even handle but um, I don't really listen to the radio um, that much anymore. 
It's funny. The last uh, the last rapper before you I interviewed was John Connor. And he he came up in that scene. He was like signed to Aftermath for a while. And I brought up some line he said maybe like 10 years ago. And he just legit didn't remember it. He's like, well, wait, when did I say this? <laughs> Sounds like something I'd say, but I can't confirm I did. I was like, no, it was it was a song. Don't worry about it. Right. No, I mean, you've got to remember, we're walking around with millions of words in our heads from all these albums and all these things. And it's funny, it's like people will quote my record and I want to check, like, say, not that word. But then I'm like, you know what, if you've been singing it like that for all these years, go with it. You caught a lot of shit early in your career for Cop Killer. What is your perspective on the song now and the legacy it's carried on, especially now with like what's been in the news with the cops the last couple of years? I mean, I think it's just unfortunate that we're still in the same situation. Absolutely. I mean, if you ask me, that's a, that's a tragedy. Not that, that anything other than that, I made a song 25 years ago and you're still dealing with the same issues. Cop Killer was just a protest record about somebody who snapped based on police brutality, which could happen any day. Any, somebody could just say, I'm fed up and go after him. Now, the fact that that person would be considered a hero, that's sad. Right. That's crazy. So the cop killer in the song is a person is so fed up with police brutality that they go after the police. Fantasy, I'm not a cop killer. I never killed no cops. Of course. But that's what artists do. We create these scenarios that haven't happened, could happen, just to get you to think. Um, it's a historic record. We still perform it. We close our show. There you go. Are you, uh, you excited to go on tour after, you know, concerts basically weren't a thing for a year and a half? Uh, yeah, this Saturday will be our first show in a year and a half. We dropped the, um, the Carnivore album last year in March, and the next week, the pandemic hit. We haven't been able to do one song off of that album live. So fucking. And we just started the new album, Merciless. So we're in a, a musical warp, so to speak. But we're gonna figure it out Saturday. Nice. All right. So the last, you know, background story question I have for you, and I, I think that's how I'm gonna cap off the interview. Um, we just uh, went through the anniversary of the death of Robin Williams. He's probably one of the most you know, acclaimed guests on your show, SVU. Uh, what was being on the set with him like, and what do you remember about that episode? First thing was bugged out that Robin Williams knew me. You know, walked up to me, yeah, he's T, you know. I think we live in these parallel universes where certain stars wouldn't know. I met Dustin Hoffman. He was like, I was like, wow. Because you don't realize that we're all watching the same television. We're all watching the same movies. We do live in the same world. My mother's pushing 70. She was really excited. I was interviewing you. See what I'm saying? Yes. So when I meet Robin Williams, I, I assume I know him, but I don't assume he knows me. Knows me. But... Uh, He's very cool. Uh, he was in a serious acting role, but during the breaks, he was doing his Robin Williams shit where he jumps into different characters over and over again. Uh, just a very pleasant man. It was an honor to work with him. I mean, he's a, a genius. I think it was cool because Belzer was there and Belzer and him are comedians, so they had that camaraderie going on. I can stand back and watch. 
Does uh, is the set of SVU funnier than you would expect, especially with the heavy content? Absolutely. It's funny to the point where it's not even okay because a lot of times people will show up and, you know, we're dealing with survivors and we're dealing with people that have actually been through some of the heavy content and they'll come to the show as guests and they're expecting this solemn atmosphere right. and people are running around joking and having fun between scenes throws them off a little bit sometimes, you know? I mean, then we get, a, get an understanding that this is what we do to kind of maintain our sanity, it's okay. I also think people who have been through the most shit end up being just funnier, almost as a coping mechanism. Like, and just speaking from personal experience, because I'm completely fucked in the head. <laughs> joke about the darkest shit I possibly can. Right, exactly. Most comedians come from a dark place. Right. So you're right. It's, it's, I like that. It's a coping mechanism. Let's just laugh at it versus cry about it. To quote Conan O'Brien, I laugh because crying would be sad. I like that. Ice, I want to thank you so, so much for being on here. It is beyond an honor. Um, you know, uh, Virtual. Where are you located? What's that? Where, where are you located? I'm in Chicago. Where are you? Okay, so you're not going to make it to Atlantic City. Oh, no, I'll be there. Okay, well, we'll make sure you find a way to meet me in person. I will, fi I will find you. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of times, I don't know how I managed to pull certain things off. The caliber of guests I have had on this podcast from time to fucking time, I do not deserve. I know this, you know this. I want to thank Ice-T for taking the time out to be on this show. I want to thank you for listening. Follow me on Instagram. I'm Dan Carlin. I am Dan Carlin. Twitter, at Soul Media. That is S-O-O-L, Media. Go to mobmoviecon.com, sopranoscon.com. If you're in the Atlantic City area, purchase tickets to the event. You can meet Ice-T, cast members of The Sopranos, Goodfellas, The Godfather, many of your favorites. And as always, may the road rise up to meet you motherfuckers. Until next time, I'm Dan Carlin. This has been Soul Radio. Good night.